This is Everything Energy. Produced by the International Energy Agency. Hello, I'm Tanya Dahin, and welcome back to Everything Energy, a podcast created by the International Energy Agency that looks at current energy issues as well as the future of the global energy system. In this episode of the podcast, Jad Mawad welcomes Brian Motherway, Head of Energy Efficiency at the IEA, back to the studio. We spoke to Brian at the beginning of June this year when we had really started to see the impact of the coronavirus crisis on the energy sector, as well as the social and economic effects on the world. Now in December, Brian takes us through the trends we are seeing in efficiency this year, as well as the importance of efficiency in sustainable and resilient recovery and clean energy transitions. He also takes us through the relatively new focus of behavioural changes in terms of energy efficiency and what that can mean for everyone. Earlier this month, we published the Energy Efficiency 2020 Market Report, which is available in full for free on our website at iea.org. Hi, Brian. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Jad. So it's the second time we have you over on the podcast, so thanks for this. Um, but also, it, it kind of shows the, the focus we have on energy efficiency. And uh, here, um, we're talking around the end of the year, and we have sort of seen the impact of uh, the crisis, um, the COVID crisis on, on energy efficiency. And last week, you know, your report um, on energy efficiency is finding uh, the extra level of stress that the uh, financial, that the crisis, the economic crisis, the health crisis has had on, on efficiency. And the bad news uh, now is that the rate of improvement on efficiency is slowing down. Um, can you explain why that's, that is? As you know better than I, Jad, 2020 has been a very strange year and difficult year for all of us generally, but of course for energy systems. And it has changed the way we use energy in so many ways, whether we're working from home, we're not flying, we're cycling more, we're not holidaying in the same way, so many different behaviors. And the question is, how does that impact on energy efficiency? And and there are different ways to measure it. But if you measure the bottom line being how much economic value do we extract from our energy? So in other words, the primary energy intensity of the global economy, it's getting a little better this year, but the rate of improvement is slowing down. And we've seen that for a couple of years now, but the jump is bigger this year. So this year, our global improvement in energy efficiency will be the slowest improvement it's been for 10 years. And that's quite worrying. And so, like you're saying, this is something we've been seeing for a few years where we're not gaining in efficiency. We're gaining in efficiency, but not as much um, as we ought to or as we would like. Uh, and specifically this year, there's been a bigger slowdown um, in, in that kind of rate of improvement. One has to sort of think about that in the negative, maybe. Very broadly speaking, the first half of this decade, we were doing twice as well as we're doing in the second half of the decade. And this year, the improvement will be less than 1%, which is a third of what it needs to be. We need to be improving by three times as well each year as we did this year. So you mentioned that this year has been quite exceptional um, on all fronts in terms of the energy use uh, uh, declining, travel, uh, all kinds of things. We've also seen uh, clearly investments are falling uh, as well. And so where has, you see, where has that decline been the strongest um, in terms of energy efficiency? Energy efficiency improves the most when basically people replace 
old things with new things that are more efficient, whether that's your car, your house, industrial equipment, your appliances. When you buy a new appliance or you build a new home, it, it almost by definition, it's going to be much more efficient than the previous one because it's newer technology, newer techniques. And of course, when people don't do that, when the rate of uh, replacement slows down, then the rate of efficiency gain slows down. So this year across the world, we built far fewer houses. We bought fewer cars. Industry didn't invest as much in, 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 in upgrading grading its equipment. Overall, investment in energy efficiency this year is down about 9% year on year. And in fact, it's already been flat for a couple of years. So it needs to be growing, but in fact, it's now declining. And that's related to consumer confidence during a crisis. Uh, but also, energy prices are low at the moment because demand is down and, and therefore the incentive might be lower. So if I'm in industry, I'm thinking I could upgrade my heating system in my factory the return I'll get on that from lower energy bills is obviously dented by the fact that that energy prices are lower at the moment. So it makes people less inclined to invest for various reasons, and that's what slows it all down. So within that very kind of difficult context, clearly 2020 is a difficult year. Have you seen any bright spots um, in in this field, in in the field of efficiency that sort of you know present some kind of positive signs for the future? I think the value both citizens and governments place on efficiency is growing, even just the realisation of the importance of it. Because if here in 2020, I'm worried about keeping warm in my home and suddenly I realise if I had a more efficient heating system, I could be more comfortable for less money for decades ahead. You know, that sense of, of efficiency helps me, you know, lower my bills, lower my environmental impact, but also improve my quality of life, whether that's in terms of having a, a car that costs less to run or having a home that costs less to run. And then for society, as a whole, if we have more resilient energy systems that rely less on imports, that cost less, cost less to build or to fuel or to run. So I think there's a sense of a greater value on doing things well and doing things efficiently. So one of the things that I want to get to that point maybe in a minute, but one of the things we've seen this year, and you're sort of hinting at this, is the impact of uh, this crisis on behavior, broadly speaking. Um, and so can you just talk a little bit about sort of how and whether you, you expect this to be lasting, but how our, has our behavior changed with the crisis? Clearly, a massive drop in air travel is not going to last. Um, but what does that sort of signal to you in terms of how willing are people to shift their habits, whether it's for driving or walking or cycling or perhaps doing more or less video calls or traveling? I think... One thing it showed us is change can happen. Now, in this case, for negative reasons and not necessarily in a pleasant way, but behavior changed overnight very dramatically. But then that leads to people thinking differently about their behavior. So we saw in the spring of this year, people spending much more time in their homes and suddenly Google searches of washing machines and dishwashers shot up because people were thinking about, I'm now spending more time here and I care about my washing <laughs> machine. And, you know, or, you, know I, you know, Google searches for televisions and laptops went up and things like that you know so people's mindsets shifted you know and then equally you know when people started travel again during the summer obviously people are less willing to go on public transport so we see some shift to cars but we also see shift to walking and cycling in, and we see many cities investing in that to make it more pleasant and more incentivized and so we see people's ways of thinking about their lives uh, you know shift a bit and of course 
people will return to airplanes when it's possible, but maybe not as much because now we've all learned that you can have a Zoom meeting with the other side of the world very efficiently. And I think the role of digital technology this year has been really interesting because it's really enabled things like Zoom calls, you know, like remote working. But also we've all seen that. We've seen how much these latest technologies can really improve our lives and allow for different kinds of behaviours. So it's far too early to tell, you know, how we're going to behave in a couple of years' time when hopefully life is returned to normal but this year has shown us a glimmer of what is possible right and so there are probably several schools out there one could be that we we kind of keep the virtuous parts of what we did in last year going forward the other one might think that this might be the town for a road trip across europe once the restrictions are lifted so i think it'd be naive to think that suddenly we're all going to fly less and you know work from home more and 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 do those kind of things without interventions and and of course none of these behaviors are good or bad in themselves but uh, they have energy implications so if governments mm. do think they want to lock in let's say less business travel and replace it with zoom calls or or more teleworking to reduce commuting you know impacts whatever they're going to have to take policy action there was a very interesting glimmer when the first an- announcement of a vaccine by Pfizer came out that on that very day, stocks of things like Air France and CityJet and then yeah. those kind of uh, travel-y type stocks shot up. And in the very same day, the stocks of something like Zoom or home gym equipment or even home streaming services went down. So right. certainly the market thinks we're going to return to our old behaviours. And I'm sure we will to a certain degree. But I think governments can learn from the fact that behaviour change can happen and what are the kind of actions governments can now take if they want to reinforce that change. Yeah. Um, Just on that question, is there anything that sort of surprised you this year, sort of some lessons in the kind of in your energy efficiency philosophy you've been covering, talking, analyzing this field for a long, long time, but um, we've lived through essentially sort of a um, a planet-sized sort of social experiment. Um, Is anything to sort of surprise you or jumped at you this year? I think... Obviously, this year has been a lesson in human resilience generally, you know, and I think, uh, you know, for a lot of types of work, including the type of work that I do, it was remarkably possible for life to be normal in the sense of that I could I deal with governments all over the world and I could continue to do that. And I, and I was in my home talking to somebody in Delhi in their home or somebody in Sao Paulo in their home or in mm-hmm. Ottawa in their home and everybody was doing it and, and it wasn't exactly the same as normal and maybe not as productive in, in ways, but remarkably close to normal. So we do seem to reach a point where so many things are possible. And I think I think what was interesting about 2020 was just a sudden realization of that because we all had Zoom before March of this year and we all could have chosen to have more meetings online or, or you know, dial people in on our phones or whatever else. But we weren't doing it that much, speaking personally. And I think now there was just a real realization that if you have to adapt to new circumstances, you can. Right. Um, one thing you just talked about um, a minute ago was... Um, kind of the, the impact of digital technologies on our lives. And one of the field, the topics I think uh, you've been working on is how digital, digital technologies, connections, interconnect uh, networks, um, you know, provide um, a sort of a, could provide a boost for efficiency in terms of connecting devices um, and, and doing things better. How far is this in, in your thinking? Is this something around the corner? Is this something that will require a lot more investment in terms of equipment, whether it's appliances, smart stuff. 
in my view, big change is coming very quickly. Mm. And the thin end of the wedge is things like in 2020, we could use, you know, video calling technologies uh, or, you know, we can use apps to, you know, to find a way around the city efficiently or things like that. And more and more people are able to control their home heating to their app. Or most modern offices now have pretty sophisticated digital management systems. All of that is happening. But in some ways, even that small compared to the system-wide potential of digital technologies to really rethink energy efficiency in a much broader sense in the in its role to be part of a dynamic energy system that's matching supply and demand that's making use of cheap renewables when they're available that that's bringing flexibility to demand when prices are high it's really unlocking potential that was theoretically there before but wasn't really possible but it's also opening up new ways of doing efficiency business because now as an energy consumer I can really understand my own energy use whether it's in my office or in my home if somebody sells me a service to make it more efficient I can see the data immediately that data is is investment ready so we can really have quite sophisticated ways of doing business around efficiency so so all of that behind the scenes stuff is already happening I think it's going to grow really quickly I suspect that many governments are, to be honest, a bit behind the curve in being ready for that in terms of really enabling the power of of technical innovation to do things much more efficiently because it requires, you know, enabling of business models, it requires new ways of designing markets, but it also requires addressing data privacy and data ownership Mm -hmm. and things like that. So governments really need to get ready for what I think is a new phase of energy efficiency, which is very exciting. Yeah, so obviously the IEA is a kind of government um, advisor, but on this question particularly, where do you think change will come from? Who's going to be the driver of this change? I think it is happening and it's it's happening because consumers want to buy sexy devices and, and get control of their energy systems. They want to buy the apps that allow them to control their the heat in their homes or buildings want, you know, really good uh, control of their energy use uh, in the office or whatever. And equally, there are service providers. There are people inventing the technologies. There are people inventing the business models, offering the services, and they have monetary value. Energy costs money. So if you can invent something that saves energy, you're inventing something that saves money. So the market is driving it and to date I think maybe governments are still catching up but I see more governments realizing that we work at a lot of governments around this issue about how to drive investment in smart technology and we see governments understanding that this is an issue they really need to face up to. Okay so um, just to kind of shift gears here a little bit um, early this year um, or very early in the crisis the IA called for a sustainable recovery meaning that governments around the world should focus their economic stimulus plans on the policies that would also have an environmental or climate impact. Um, And clearly here, a major area of concern should be energy efficiency, in some ways because these are big projects or could be big projects that would uh, create jobs um, and and boost the economy as well. So what's happened on that front this year? Can you give us a sense of how successful governments have been um, in, in this respect? The IA was early to call for linking short-term goals like economic stimulus and job creation with bigger picture clean energy goals and energy transitions, energy efficiency, renewables. And it, I must say, it, it's pleasing to see how well that has landed with governments. It's really resonating with it's really resonating with them to understand that they they can really create win-win situations here. And of course, efficiency is the biggest chunk 
of the sustainable recovery package because it is a job creating machine. It's job intensive to upgrade buildings, to upgrade factories. It's job intensive to manufacture more efficient appliances. So it's easy to design policies that create jobs, create economic stimulus, but also locking greater levels of, levels of efficiency. And we've learned a lot in the last decade from governments trying to do this before. So the IEA has put together a lot of best practice materials to help governments understand how to really do it on the ground, because you've got to design the policies well, you've got to implement them well, but we know how to do that. And I think there's a real opportunity here to really lock in some great efficiency gains while also creating jobs. Now, we see some governments doing that. We've seen some quite large financial announcements about stimulus packages, say in the buildings efficiency sector or others, but it's been a bit uneven, to be honest. First of all, a lot of it's in Europe. So there's lots of parts of the world that we haven't seen many announcements from. Also, a lot of it is in buildings. We've seen less in appliances. We've seen less in other sectors. But the good news, of course, means is there's plenty of potential remaining. We think of the announcements made to date, which, which come to about you know 60 or $70 billion. That's going to create 2 million jobs for the next three years, which is a very significant positive benefit. But if governments fully exploit the potential of this linkage between stimulus and energy efficiency, they could triple that. So we still continue to work with governments to see that there's plenty more potential in this space. So you just said, so we're pretty far from the goals, though, of, of the full value of realizing the full potential of this. Um, what question I have then is, if the benefits are so obvious, then why aren't we realizing these, this potential? In other words, why aren't governments jumping in even faster into this job-creating machine that you just mentioned? The basic definition of energy efficiency is it sounds easy in theory, but it's hard to do well in practice. And governments have learned that you can't just pass a law, set up a fund or something and efficiency is going to happen. You've got to intervene in the supply chain. You've got to remove regulatory barriers. You've got to encourage up, uptake. You've got to build markets. You've got to engage with the behavior and decision making of citizens in their homes, in their workplaces. And it, so it takes all of government to do that. It takes quite, you know, quite a lot of attention and focus. And, and sometimes governments talk about energy efficiency but they don't always deliver all the elements that are needed because it is quite complex. And I think we're still learning from each other around the world about that. And we put a lot of emphasis on gathering best practice around the world and sharing with, with other governments to see that if you do it right, you will get the benefits, but you have to do it right. So is there a risk that we might be missing an opportunity here to kind of create a more efficient system or... It's not a risk, it's a certainty. We could literally double the efficiency of the global economy in the next couple of decades if we exploited only the technologies that we already have with us today. So there's a massive potential to eliminate waste. Energy inefficiency is waste. We're all using more energy than we need to because we're not taking the actions we could take mm -hmm. as individuals and as societies. So there's a huge positive opportunity here to become more efficient that lowers people's bills, makes systems more resilient, and of course massively reduces greenhouse gas emissions. So walk us through what governments should do more of. Uh, this year, um the Global Commission on Urgent Action for Energy Efficiency, which is a commission that the uh, IEA helped set up that was uh, chaired uh, by the uh, Prime Minister of Ireland, um, uh, put out a set of recommendations, and you were uh, uh, very much involved in, in, in following uh, through on those. Can you just give us a sense of what where should the action, the urgent action, be focused on? The Global Commission for Urgent Action on Energy Efficiency brought together 
really great thinkers from around the world, energy ministers, heads of state, leaders of, of corporations or think tanks. And we asked them the question, what would you recommend people like you do if they want to have faster, stronger progress on efficiency? And they focus on big issues like how is energy efficiency treated in government? Is it given sufficient priority across all of government? What are the narratives for energy efficiency? How do we talk about it? How do we describe its benefits? And there's a real sense that, yes, efficiency has a lot more potential, but it needs this kind of whole of government response. It needs, it's not just an energy ministry issue. It also needs the housing ministry and the industry ministry and the transport ministry. So it needs that prioritization. But the evidence is clear that when governments give it that prioritization and invest effort in designing and implementing good policies, they will get, get great benefits out of it. So we've, we've talked a lot about the crisis, about 2020, about the opportunities. But if we sort of open the lens a bit, without efficiency, they're just, according to our analysis, to the IA analysis, there's just going to be no hope of reaching long-term climate goals, right? So there, there is a, a real need for a, an absolute focus on efficiency. I think the numbers are something like 40% of the effort to reach long-term climate goals are on efficiency, 40% on renewables, and 20% on everything else. So walk us through the, these next decades uh, for a second. I think more people are realizing that energy efficiency is central to all clean energy transitions. And you're right, the single biggest element, certainly in our analysis of meeting the, of the Paris goals, is energy efficiency. And certainly as we see ambition being raised around the world, it's certainly my view that it will be impossible to meet very ambitious climate targets without leading with energy efficiency and without extracting the full value energy efficiency has to offer. If you do things inefficiently, if you don't address the, the waste of energy in demand, you're making everything else more expensive and harder to do. Um, and so energy efficiency has a great potential to really contribute here. And I think more governments are realizing that. I think even as you see governments now uh, raising their levels of ambition, which is great to see, when they start to crunch the numbers on that, they'll see how important energy efficiency is. And, and even though 2020 hasn't been a great year for energy efficiency, I think there's a glimmer of positive there because there's a greater realization that we need to refocus our, our efforts on efficiency if we want to meet our wider targets. So I, I want to finish this, uh, wrap up this conversation with something that maybe uh, we don't talk all that much about. Um, so we do a lot of analysis here, but we also do a lot of on the ground work. And a lot of our work goes, uh, um, goes to countries, to major emerging economies, countries where energy demand is growing very quickly and where presumably the potential for savings, for conservation, for better efficiency, better use of their energy um, is the greatest. So can you give us a little bit of a sense of some of the sort of bright spots there, some of the programs that you're working on? The key to success in energy efficiency is action now. And we have plenty of understanding of where we need to be in some decades. We have plenty of understanding of the key technologies and policies available to this. But what governments are asking us in the IEA now is, what can I do now? What policies should I enact now? How should I design them? How should I implement them? So we're working very closely with all of our member governments, but also with some of the biggest emerging economies in the world, China, India, Indonesia, Brazil, South Africa. In every case, we have hands-on programs with them where we're working 
working with them on their policy priorities, uh, d- helping them understand what's the right policy for this situation, uh, what's the best way for me to uh, improve my energy efficiency, what should I start with, how should I design policies well. It's all about learning from each other. It's about learning from global expertise, but also learning from peers, learning from other countries. And there's a great sense of countries keen to take action, impatient to move faster in energy efficiency and ready to work with the IEA and each other to achieve that. So, Brian, we were about to wrap up the conversation, but then um, you, you, you mentioned that we should maybe spend a little bit more time on behavior. And this is, you're not talking here about behavior, um, our, our day-to-day behavior, you know, how our individual decisions affect uh, change. What are you talking about here? Well, the IEA has started focusing on the role of behavior in energy generally because we started to see in our modeling that if people change their behaviors in certain ways, the energy and climate impacts can be quite significant. And then the question is, can pe- will or can people change their behaviors and how might governments encourage them to do so? Uh, and there's a lot of evidence now, a lot more sophisticated experimentation with behavioral science and with trials uh, with citizens around the world to really understand the subtlety of, of, of engaging with people on behaviour change. And it is quite subtle. I think in the past, many governments have run quite shallow campaigns that just say, please save energy, please turn off the lights. Those kind of campaigns don't tend to have much impact. But mm-hmm. we're seeing now from behavioural science things like how you word your interventions, how you design energy labels for buildings, for example, or how you design ad campaigns to encourage people to change their behaviour really makes a difference. And there's some very interesting experiments now that subtle differences in how you intervene can really make a huge difference in your success. So so we are discussing this with governments now and really encouraging them to address this in a more sophisticated way. Behaviour change does have potential to be part of energy policy and does have the potential to deliver energy efficiency gains, but only if done well, only if done with behavioural science and, and you know good knowledge and research behind it. Uh, and luckily now there's a large body, body of expertise and experience out there for governments to learn from. And this is not about telling people you need to drive less, you need to walk, walk more, um, you need to take a bicycle, etc. This is something a bit like, what are the incentives here that you're talking about? Energy efficiency used to have this kind of negative connotation where many, many of us will remember ads back when we were young saying things like, you know, put on an extra jumper and turn the <laughs> yeah, thermostat down and it's good for the planet or mm-hmm. it's good for mm-hmm. the country or something. And we need to understand that those kind of messages in the negative framing doesn't really work. And also, different people respond to different things. So for some people, if you say to them, change your behavior for the sake of the planet, that might work. For other people, if they change your behavior and you can save 50 euros a month, that might work. For most people, it's probably a mixture of lots of different messages. We need to understand that. But also, coming back to our conversation earlier about digital technology, what's really changed now is... In the old days, maybe if I wanted to spend less on my home heating, I was thinking about could I turn something off or could I wait before I turn it on in the evening? Whereas now it can all be an app that that knows when I'm coming home or knows that I want the bedroom warm in the morning, but the living room warm in the evening. And suddenly not only is that saving me lots of money, but it's it's a much more positive engagement. Energy efficiency is a positive comfortable convenient thing it's not about sacrifice it's not about me spending my time obsessing over turning things off it's about having better quality of life but also being more efficient at the same time 
So it's about your fridge telling you it's time to go shopping, uh, but it's also about your house being more attuned to your presence or absence and being more efficient when you're around or when you're not around. I suspect it's only my colleagues in the IEA who spend a lot of time thinking about their energy <laughs> use on a daily basis. Most people are a little too busy or thinking about other things. So if all that can be done mm -hmm. by sophisticated systems or if you can get an, an app that tells you, gives you an alert if your energy bill is very high or you can set it to turn things off when you're not there, all of that makes people's lives better uh, while reducing their energy bills. But, and it reframes energy efficiency as a much more modern, positive thing. And this is something that is, you were mentioning this earlier, this is driven by the market, by utilities, by, by uh, various groups. Uh, is it driven by sort of a uh, consumer demand? I mean, is there like a constituency for this? Or is this also, on the other hand, driven by government regulation standards or push for efficiency? Where is this, kind of, we asked this question earlier, but where is this drive really coming from? I guess now everybody has a smartphone in their pocket and therefore they are used to the concept of an app being something they can make their life better with or, you know, that they can manage their life better. And I think a lot of it is being driven by clever entrepreneurs who are inventing new uh, you know, technologies for controlling or measuring or crunching big data. And a lot of them are finding that energy is a great application for these inventions mm -hmm. because it is something where you can save people money and, you know, make their lives better. So you get somebody coming to me saying, I've invented something that, that can reduce the energy use in my house, make it more convenient, more transparent for me. I'm quite likely to be willing to pay for that or engage with it, you know. So it's not always driven by policy. I think it's often driven by great innovation coming up with solutions to people's problems or ways to make people's lives better. So then I guess one of the policy questions that has to be resolved around, surrounds what, data privacy or um, what, what are the kind of hurdles there that you can still see? There are a lot of policy implications from, you know, how people make their money. How, does the market allow people to, you know, engage in more flexible demand or, you know, how is it priced or things like that. But the real challenge, of course, is these policy issues go well beyond energy policy because it does relate to data privacy, data ownership, different things like that, regulation of these services. So, again, it just calls for a, a kind of a whole of government thinking on how to enable these innovations in ways that, that are to everyone's benefit so that people don't get fleeced by cowboys or don't, you know, don't get their data misused, but then does unlock the positive power of these great new technologies and ways of doing things to make people's lives better while also making energy systems more efficient. Thank you, Brian. This has been a very interesting conversation. Thank you, Chad.